0: Good morning, church family. Isn't it good to be here? And um, I just confess that my heart is full. It's not empty, and there's a reason, and I'm here to tell you why. To share humbly, I feel like my words are inadequate to fully express why. But we get to look at God's word together this morning and consider Um, The reason for hope. So, for 2,000 years, people in all kinds of different settings and in all kinds of different languages and backgrounds, all kinds of different churches have gathered together on this day that we're celebrating this day, Easter, And they've responded to a phrase that you heard Jessica say a little bit earlier. Several people of of you said it to me when I was just standing out there greeting people. Said, he is risen, and you respond, or I responded, he is risen indeed. Let's, Let's try it. Can we do that? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, right? There's some of us that respond, yeah, you know, we're just... All kinds of enthusiasm and when you watch a little of that video, you're like at goosebumps and you thought, wow, that's that's the reason why I'm not empty. And and some of you, when you hear that phrase, he is risen, you say it with a little bit of quietness and perhaps even fear. Um, You would call yourself, if cornered, maybe a follower of Jesus, but you don't tell a whole lot of people you're not fully sure of it, not fully confident of it. And some of you, when you said, when you heard the words, he is risen, you said, he has risen indeed with um, maybe a question. You're not quite sure if he truly has risen. Do you struggle with the questions and doubts that you have? Just like some of the disciples were questioning and struggling and wrestling through, and some of you didn't say anything, right? Because you don't believe it. You're, you're here because perhaps a friend or a family member brought you here, and you're still wondering, and you're questioning, and you're wrestling, and all that's good. It, it actually is okay. This morning, as we look at a text that declares that he is risen, I'm just trusting that God, because this is who he is, will come and speak powerfully to you, and you'll get it. You'll understand it. Here's the word of God found in the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, if you don't, there's some provided for you right in front of you. New Testament goes Matthew and the second gospel is Mark. And we're going to start in chapter 15, at the end of chapter 15, starting verse 42, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 16 verse 8. Okay, Mark 15 starting in verse 42. Let's read God's word for us this morning. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, they're preparing the Passover, this um, amazing historical symbol that God was a deliverer. He was a savior of his people, the people that he loved. And the people of Israel would gather every year to celebrate this. It was their holiest celebration, the Passover that God had come and they had been saved. That is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Verse 1 of 16. When the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man dressed on the right side, dressed in a white, excuse me, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Mark has this amazing account of the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and some of you I know have been reading it, and it's filled with action, isn't it? And it's one thing after another. You're you're being astonished, and uh, Mark like moves the story right along, and he gets to this place in chapter 15, where the disciples experience, those who are following Jesus experience the darkest moment they could. Possibly imagine because the one that they had been convinced was their savior, the, the very one that they put their hope in, their, that they had come to love and respect and honor, um, he suffered an unimaginable death. A betrayal first from one of their own, right? one of their own friends. Judas betrays him, and then Jesus is taken into these trials where he's unjustly accused and condemned, and he's taken away in shame, and he's strapped to a post, and he's beaten until bloodied, and he is led up while people are screaming curses at him, and Spitting on him and throwing things at him he 's led to the cross, and there he dies for us he, he dies on the cross and that very darkest of moments where most of his followers ran away, and only a few are gathered there at the cross, some at a distance, looking some a little bit closer and that moment of darkness, we hear this account, this account that describes some people who were seeking. They're actually still had all kinds of stuff going on inside of them, and the first one we're introduced to in this passage is a man named Joseph of Arimathea. The Gospel of Matthew doesn't tell us a whole lot about this guy, except that he was wealthy. He was rich. Luke tells us a little bit more about him. Um, He was actually, Luke says, he'd become a follower of Jesus, but he was a fearful follower. Nobody else knew it. He had come to listen to Jesus and to hear him and experience what Jesus was saying and doing And um, he had come to believe him and started to trust who Jesus was. But he was an undercover guy. Nobody at his work knew. Nobody probably in even his home knew that he was following Jesus at this point. Some of you perhaps have experienced that same kind of fear and shame, maybe at school or your place of work or your neighborhood, not really wanting to let people know. And that's where Joseph the he was at. Mark tells us here in his gospel that Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin. And this is what that means. That all his life, he studied scripture. Studied God's word. Because he, he was a seeker. He wanted to know the truth. In fact, Mark tells us that, that he was seeking the kingdom of God. He, he was passionate about this. And because he was such a scholar, and because, as Luke tells us, he was a a good man and a righteous man. That is, he followed the law, the Hebrew scripture to the letter and everything he did, he pursued this. He was respected and he was now part of the the ruling religious body that ruled over Israel. And he was part of this group of people that had Jesus come in. Many of his peers had come to hate Jesus. They, they hated him because Jesus was a threat, a threat to their way of life, a threat to their understanding of Scripture. He shamed them at times because it was revealed that they, they didn't know really God's word very well. And Jesus taught them in a way that the, the Sanhedrin, the members of the Sanhedrin couldn't teach. And, and so they came to realize that their only course of action, at least from their understanding, was to condemn Jesus and to kill him. These were Joseph's peers, his friends, that came to this conclusion. And Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, we're told, and he is condemned. Although Joseph didn't want that to happen. He didn't agree with the judgment, but he was fearful, so he didn't say anything. He didn't come to Jesus' defense. And Jesus is then taken through the streets, and he's brutalized, and he's hung up on this cross. And yet we know that Joseph of Arimathea was there. He saw what was happening. He went to the cross. He experienced what Jesus was saying and doing for him. And there's a moment, we don't know exactly when it is, but there's a moment where Joseph's life changes. Everything changes for him. What brings a person to that place, I'm wondering? Where, although you believe in your mind that God actually is the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, he came for you, be it, you're fearful of ever saying anything. What brings a person to the place where actually Joseph comes in this moment? He had heard the debates, he had experienced the trial of Jesus, he saw what happened firsthand, he sees what happens at the cross. And at one point on the cross, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, the most unexpected guy. That this, the Roman centurion, right? The guy who is completely outside of anybody's radar of, of coming to faith. He sees Jesus, the most hardened guy, and he says, surely this is the Son of God. Like he comes to faith right there at the cross, the centurion. And Joseph experiences that, and somehow God reaches down and grabs hold of him at one point of his life. Some of you here, including me, have experienced that where it just like grabbed you and you realized, I don't want to be an undercover follower of Jesus anymore. I'm all in. I, I'm, I'm going to follow him. And that's, that's what happens in Joseph's life here. And so even though Joseph, Joseph knows that if he takes a step, He's going to trash his reputation in front of the Sanhedrin and lose his job. He's going to lose friends, He's going to be mocked himself. And though he's never had the courage to do it ever before, he takes this step, like, to make his public, his faith public, his commitment to Jesus in front of everybody. And he goes to Herod, a guy who has no love for. Because Herod had a horrible reputation. He was not a man of faith. He was anything but a righteous man. And Joseph goes publicly to Herod. And he asks for the body of Jesus. Now think about when this is happening. When Joseph takes this, finally takes this step of faith. It's when Jesus is dead. And there's no hope. It's remarkable when he does this. And he goes to Herod and he asks, he requests for the body of Jesus. And Herod doesn't know that Jesus is dead yet. And so he asks the centurion, right? The guy who has come to place his faith to say, Surely this is the Son of God. And the centurion confirms it, that Jesus is dead. And then Joseph goes publicly, and he does a remarkable thing. This is the Passover where observant Jews like Joseph, they have spent time to make sure they're clean and right so they can celebrate the most important holiday of their life. And Joseph goes to defile himself. He'll not be able to celebrate the Passover now because he's going and he's going to touch a dead body. But not only does he do that, he goes to the cross and he removes the nails from Jesus. And when he does that, I don't know what's in his mind, but it must have been I was part of this. It's, this is partly on me because I never spoke up. And he removes the nails from the broken body of Jesus and he hoists the naked body of Jesus on his shoulder, takes him down from the cross. He wraps him up in a burial cloth, and he takes him to a new tomb, his own family tomb that he had paid for. And he goes inside the tomb. The tomb is a small little cave, right? If you go to Israel today, you'll still see them like this. And he goes inside this small cave and there's a bench that's been carved out of the rock that a body is placed onto and then the stone is rolled there and it's left to decompose to where there's only bones left and then they'll go back into the tomb and take those bones and put them underneath this bench and gather them to their family. The, the tradition was that it was only family That was there with you. This was yours and it was only family. And Joseph is making a statement in doing this. This is family. Jesus is precious to me. He's doing it publicly so everyone sees it. We're told in scripture that Mary and Mary saw it. They watched it happen. him make this statement and this commitment public. What brings a person to this place? It wasn't Joseph's righteousness. He was a guy committed to do the right thing and to be good. But it wasn't his goodness that opened him up to this place. I really appreciated on Good Friday, our service of Good Friday, Max was speaking and He was describing what happened there in the moment when Jesus died, that in the temple there was a curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest. And that curtain was a huge, tall curtain, and it was ripped, Scripture tells us, from the top to the bottom. There's powerful symbolism in that, and that it wasn't man opening up the door to the presence of God who was it right it was it was god himself right god was opening up a way for us through the death of jesus christ to enter into the presence of god wow and so that's exactly what happened to joseph god was drawing him to himself it wasn't joseph earning his way to god it was god drawing joseph to himself and giving him the courage to take this public step of commitment to him. I'm reminded that Jesus man he can change anyone's mind and heart. He could change the centurion and he could change this guy who had placed all his marbles in being right and righteous and obeying the law and then discovering that's not enough. I actually have to commit and be all in with Jesus. I have to acknowledge him and I'm gonna do that publicly. That no one is outside the reach of God in this. God can reach down and grab anybody. That's the story being told here at the cross, which is really great news, right? It's great news because God reached down and expressed his love to Stephanie. God reached down and expressed his love to Don. God reached down and expressed his love to Janelle, right? And to Dick. And everybody here. That's powerful, right? That's that's powerful news. And he calls us out to be his follower and to be all in like Joseph was in this moment. God draws seekers. He inspires us to follow him. Now fast forward to Easter morning, which is why we're here, right, celebrating this. There's three gutsy ladies, right? Everybody else was in fear. They were in hiding. And there's three ladies, we're told, who actually had the courage to go to the tomb. Now, they had a whole different set of expectations. Right? They, they were there, Scripture tells us, to prepare the body because they didn't have time to do it after Joseph had taken the body off the cross because um, the law told them that they couldn't. So they were waiting for this the third day. Scripture tells us there's three of these ladies that go. The first one is Mary Magdalene, and did you know this? That um, she's mentioned more times in the Gospels than most all of the Apostles. It's an interesting little tidbit fact. Mary had been humiliated. She had experienced the worst kind of violation you can imagine. Scripture tells us that Satan himself had grabbed hold of her life and she had been possessed. And it had wrecked her. And of course, not only did Satan humiliate her, but her family members and friends and people in the village, they shunned her. They didn't want any part of her. And she comes across Jesus. Actually, Jesus came to her, didn't he? And he sees a woman of infinite value. And he heals her. And he calls Mary to himself. And Mary comes. She starts following Jesus at that point, experiencing God's love and his his healing. In fact, she was one of the supporters. You might wonder sometimes, how did the disciples even make it financially? And there were some women who were behind caring for all the disciples, and Mary here was one of them. And so was the other Mary. Mary, who had one of the apostles, one of the disciples, the first disciples, as a son, James the Lesser. This is the other Mary that we're told of here in chapter 16. Verse 1, mother of the Mary of James, or Joseph, as some texts say. And she gives her son and her finances, but we don't know a whole lot about her. There are several of these Marys in the New Testament. Um, It might have been an aunt, perhaps, of Jesus. It might have, uh, her identity could be several different ladies, but what we know is that uh, at this critical juncture, She's there with the other Mary and they take courage. And the third lady is Salome. She is the wife of Zebedee, which means that her kids are James and John. Right? So she's given her kids to the cause too and they've been following along with Jesus all this time. And it's these Three ladies. This is the same lady, by the way, that says to Jesus, can my kids sit at their left and their right-hand side, okay? And, um, right, moms, they just want the best for their kids. And she, didn't, she wasn't thinking. She was being self-centered in the moment. I know that's impossible for moms to think about. but And so um, these three ladies, they go to the tomb. And they experience, right, the surprise of their lives. They go there and they go not knowing how they're going to pull off the whole rolling the stone away and they discover that the stone is already rolled away and they walk. Can you imagine this? Ladies, you would need some friends to do this with, right? Your best friends are going to go with you and you, you walk in and they discover something that always scares people. Right? All throughout Scripture, angels are not the little, like, precious moments figurines. They, they scare people with the glory of God. Like, they've been in the presence of God, and it's still on them, and it's scary. And they hear this angel say to them, he's not here. He has already accomplished victory over death. He's risen And you're going to see him in the flesh. So you need to go and tell the disciples. And what happens to the ladies in Mark's account? They are so pick and scared. They're terrified. They hesitate. They don't know what to do. They're caught. Like they they just don't, they just are afraid. They run out of the tomb and they're in fear. But these ladies told that's not the end of their story. Scripture tells us in several of the Gospels that they actually then go after they've hesitated and they they take this big step to go and tell the disciples. I'm reminded of some really powerful lessons to what God does here to these people. First, that Jesus sees and loves people that we would never expect him to to see and love. He loved a woman who had been degraded in the most humiliating way. A a person who had experienced the ugliness of possession and how people responded to her pushing her away. And he responds to a person who had thought his righteousness was an ax and yet calls Joseph of Arimathea to himself. He loves the unlikely people. Right, John? Like me and you. He loves us. That's the power of the Easter message, right? That he loves the unlikely. He sees us and he loves us. He loves you. How sweet and powerful that is for us to know. Gives me hope. Right? That God would choose us to shower his pour his love in that while we were still sinners, Scripture says, that he would demonstrate his love to you and to me and invite us to take a step of faith, to trust in him. Scripture tells us, God's word tells us, tells you and me. That if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. If you confess him as Lord that he will change you. He will change your life in this instant, in this moment. Don't walk out those doors without taking that step. Let God change you. I can't do it. I can't talk you into it. Your friends can't talk you into it. But God brought you here. Intentionally, so you would hear this that he loved you and he died for you, gave himself so that you would have life. Grab that, like, take hold of that. And I'm reminded that Jesus brings life at the most unexpected moments, the most unexpected moments, and Joseph's darkest moments. God grabbed hold of him and gave him courage to do the unimaginable for him. In the ladies' lives, they walked to that tomb expecting just to pour ointment and to prepare the body of Jesus, and they discovered life. They didn't discover what they thought they were going to, to see. He, he brings life and he brings himself in the unexpected moments. And finally, Jesus entrusts unexpected people with the greatest responsibility imaginable. He calls us, his people. If you are a person who's placed your faith in Christ Jesus, he calls us to go. Like the ladies. These ladies, like according to Jewish custom and law, they they didn't count as witnesses they they weren't legally responsible to be a witness or even respected enough but what does god do god doesn't care about the laws of men he chooses these women he lifts them up and honors them and values them and says no these are my women i love them i've chosen them for this most important task to go and tell just like he's chosen us It's not because of your skill or your capacity or how popular you are. None of that stuff. He just calls every one of us, whether we're young or old, whether we're good looking or not. Right? God calls us like these ladies to go. What's the greatest news you've ever heard or experienced? Why would you tell somebody? Easter calls us to declare the glory of God, to join in saying He is risen indeed. If you came this morning and you don't have a relationship with Him or you've been living in fear, I just want you to listen well to the Lord and release that right now. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you came this morning, And you know somebody you need to go to right now. Go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the most stunning, amazing story we could ever imagine. This, that you died for us so that we could be forgiven, and that you proved your love for us and not only that, your power over death, your gift of life to us. Oh Lord, we're just humbled and grateful and moved by it. I pray for my friends here who, uh, who have been wrestling with going and struggling. I pray you would move us by your spirit to go and tell this great story of Easter that you are alive, you are risen Prison indeed. And that makes the world a difference to us. We're free and forgiven. And, and I pray for those who came this morning who have yet to trust you, Lord. Right now, speak to them. Draw them to yourself. And if that describes you right now, I just want you to pray this out in your heart. Jesus, thank you for loving me. For sending for coming here to earth, for giving yourself on the cross to die for me and for giving me forgiveness. I confess that I have wronged you and I need your forgiveness. I need you. And I trust you with my life. God, I want to live for you. Scripture says when you take that step, that God changes you instantaneously. You are now his child and you are forgiven and whole and clean. And we rejoice in this good news, men and women. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.